Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. The understanding that both fear and opportunity always coexist. So the more fear that you feel, the closer you are to opportunity. And if you want opportunity, you have to be ready to face the fears. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 124. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Adam House. Adam is a seasoned entrepreneur with a diverse background as a former senior executive, professional basketball player, and a team co-owner. Adam adds a unique perspective to, biz- to business advising. Over his 25-year career, Adam has not only started, scaled, and exited multiple companies across various industries, but has done so with his commitment to values such as faith, family, and personal interests. Adam has a proven track record of excellence, being the founder CEO of DMA, acquired by V12 Group, Velocitude, developed by Akamai Technologies, and Qualmetrics, publicly traded on NASDAQ. Despite the challenges of being a husband, father, and entrepreneur, Adam maintains his faith, family, and fitness priorities. Adam's professional journey has been a continuous cycle of learning and growth. Adam, I'm so glad to have you on the show today. It's great to be here. So I'm glad you're with me, and I'd love to dive into your bio a little bit more. Uh, always intrigued of someone with a athletic background moving on to entrepreneurship. So um, a bio can only do so much justice. Why don't you uh, fill us in and give us the bigger picture of your journey to this point? No, I appreciate you saying that. And again, honored to be on the show and uh, to speak to your audience. So. Uh, I got my entrepreneurial start really in high school. So my junior and senior year, I grew up in the Detroit area and Dan Gilbert, uh, founder of Rocket Mortgage, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers and probably a hundred other companies. Now he's just launching uh, Rock Financial at the time. So they had you know maybe 80 or 90 team members. And I literally got a crash course MBA in building, scaling and, uh, you know, eventually exiting businesses. So uh, I just caught the bug there and I went to college for a year, dropped out after my freshman year. And my mom, of course, has her doctor in education. So you can imagine how uh, that phone call went. Said, great news, mom, making money. Bad news is I'm dropping out of college. And uh, fortunately, they didn't have FaceTime or uh, anything. Made the conver- Would have made the conversation much more difficult. So I'm sure. Uh, really the American dream story started my first business with a couple hundred bucks, uh, DMA turned it into a multi-million dollar company, sold that in 2007. Uh, then as you mentioned, started Velocitude, which was a mobile technology company. And I sold that to Akamai, who's a $10 billion plus publicly traded content delivery company. So at 32 years old, um, you mentioned the professional athlete. So I did it the opposite way of most people, which is, uh, you know, they'll play. I played basketball in high school, played my freshman year, and then entrepreneur for 30, you know, until I was 32. And my wife says to me, if you don't do something you love, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. You've been a CEO since you were 19. And so I said, well, I'm a good basketball player. Maybe if I try out, I can make some minor league team. And so I trained for six months and actually ended up making 
the Rochester Razor Sharks uh, based out of Rochester, New York. So I went to a mm. combine, 34 kids. Uh, and I say kids because I'm 32. They're 21, 22 years old. Yeah. Uh, having played D1, uh, Europe, you know, having professional basketball experience. And then here I show up. And for some reason, the coach invites me to camp. I end up making the team. And so I was 32 years old and they found out my business background and they made me CEO and co-owner of the team at 32 years old. So lifelong wow. dream, you know, playing pro basketball. I had my wife and three kids uh, sitting courtside and then started Qualmetrics, which you mentioned, and that's now publicly traded. So a lot of details and mm. all that, but wanted to give you the high level summary. Wow. That's so interesting. I don't even know where to uh, to sort of zoom in because there's so many different points there. Uh, talk talk about, if you don't mind, since this is a leadership podcast, so the the focus here is always on how to be the very best leader we can be and unco- you know uncovering and unpacking leader stories. Talk about leadership as a 19-year-old. Um, what was that like for you? Obviously, you had a vision. And so I would imagine that was a big driver there. And, and perhaps because you were the founder, um, everybody who came in automatically sort of fit, you know, fell in line, as opposed to if you showed up to an existing enterprise as a 19 year old, I'm sure that would have looked very different. But nonetheless, I can't imagine that it would be easy as somebody your age, equivalent of a, high, of, of a college sophomore coming into a company and starting it up and, and really getting people to believe in you, you to believe in yourself. So, so talk us through that piece a little bit. Well, one of the things I always say about leadership is great leaders have the ability to inspire others to be the best that they can be. And so it was my passion as a 19, 20, you know, 20 year old kid to accomplish the impossible, which was starting a business with a couple hundred bucks, literally out of a one bedroom apartment. And you're right, it was a challenge. You know, I'm hiring people as old as my parents. And here I am this 19, 21 year old kid. But, uh, you know, leadership has different seasons as well. So based on the stage of the business, the way you lead has to evolve. So looking back, I definitely would have done a lot of things differently. But, you know, it's part of leadership as well, is the evolution and in, in trying to get better every day. So it was definitely a challenge, but I think my passion and inspiration was really able to rally people around me. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, you used the term, you talked about leadership having different seasons. And I, in my head, I automatically translated that as seasonal leadership, uh, which which doesn't sound good in a way because it almost seems like, well, we lead in certain seasons and we kind of like leave the rest of it. Like, you know, to say, for example, that an item or a product is seasonal in nature. But what I was really translating it into was um, the equivalent, if you will, of situational leadership. I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a Ken, Ken Blanchard. Uh, so he talks a lot, he and his associates, about the idea that depending on where a person is in terms of their expertise, their experience, their their motivation, um, you lead them differently. So it's situational in the sense that depending on the situation, depending on the individual, depending on the circumstances, let's say, of the company or the enterprise, you as a leader need to adjust your style in order to work with them. And it's, it, it relates to the delegation continuum, if you will. In other words, the more experienced they are, the more independent they are, the more ultimately you'll be able to, to delegate to them, leave it with them and trust that they'll do it correctly. Whereas in the earlier stages, you need to do a lot more directing, coaching and supporting. And so I was thinking about that in the context of what you were describing. 
And I, I'm just wondering if you see leadership, not only in terms of the evolution, if you will, of the business in that way, being that you have to adjust, but even within stages themselves, how did you as a leader adjust your style or just your expectations to meet the needs of the individuals who worked with you to make sure that they were doing their very best work? So leadership, and I've listened to a couple of your episodes already, and I love the way that you package that up. Leadership is not about the leader. It's about the people around them. And although I've had a lot of success in my career, I've never really wanted my name in light. So I'm kind of even flexing some new muscles for me, uh, doing social media and podcasting and now business advisory services, helping other entrepreneurs. And uh, leadership for me has just always been kind of how do I get the most and recognize the talent and the people around me? And that has translated very well uh, from sports. So growing up as an athlete, uh, basketball is a team game and you're you're really only as good as what you can get out of every person on the court. It's not just yeah. you know, a, a one man sport. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really interesting. So you talked about business advisory. Obviously, you're an entrepreneur and been so for a while. You know, I think entrepreneurship gets a lot, especially in more recent years, at least from my vantage point, a lot more uh, people excited. You know, people think, oh, he's an entrepreneur that that has a certain, you know, positive association with it, uh, maybe more so now than ever before. Uh, I'm curious to know, though, there are obviously dark sides, if you will, to entrepreneurship, things to avoid, mistakes people make. From your vantage point, either as an entrepreneur yourself or somebody who's now advising others, what are some of the biggest problems, challenges, unanticipated um, uh, landmines that exist in entrepreneurship that maybe don't get a lot of attention or focus, but really need to be attended to in order for people to really have sustained success in this arena? So that's exactly uh, one of the main drivers of why I'm doing what I'm doing. If I could go through the last 25 years with the perspective that I have now, you have to realize entrepreneurship has some myths to it, right? Like I want to own my own business so I can have all this flexibility. Well, in order to be successful as an entrepreneur, you become the business. It is 24 seven, 365. And it's really that reality of understanding there's the excitement when you start the business. And then what I call the struggle zone, which is 70% of the life of your business is in that struggling. You're, you're testing, you're failing, you're growing, you're testing, you're failing, you're growing. So it's continually in that struggle zone, or I refer to it as the growth zone, understanding that the struggle is where the best ideas happen. It's where you create the most efficiencies. So enjoying the process uh, on the way to the destination, because even with all these exits, when you sell the business, there's that whole, well, who am I now? This is all I've been doing for the last yeah. seven years. That mountaintop uh, experience after every mountaintop is guess what? Another valley. And so it's enjoying that uh, climb to the top and then also the valley experience after 
and where mm -hmm. you're growing and getting those tools uh, to climb your next mountain. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you talked about that. I actually, I've had that experience multiple times now, whether it's, it's interesting, you talked earlier about your mom with the doctorate and you not finishing your degree. So it's sort of my situation in reverse. Uh, you know, I have two masters and a doctorate plus rabbinic uh, ordination plus, plus, plus. Not that I necessarily believe all that is necessary to do what I currently do, but I did come through the ranks of education and degrees are very much valued, you know, in that space. And I have at least one child currently who's almost finished with a degree, but never quite got there. So I, I kind of lived that a little bit. But regardless, whether it's finishing a degree or writing a book, and I've written two, or any other goal, bigger goal that you work towards, I have found that, you know, there's that day, so to speak, of celebration. There's that moment of 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 ecstasy. I achieved it. It's a wonderful. And then, you know, now what? You kind of like you expect it to last, but the euphoria really doesn't. And you really need to be thinking all along, first of all, enjoying the journey, not just focusing on the destination like you talked about, but also being mindful of what of what comes next. So I'm just curious, how do you advise others? What are your thoughts as people are working towards something to not just I mean, maybe you do say focus you know, singularly on that, let it ride its course and then figure out your next step? Or perhaps you are advising people to always have the next idea or try to think about where you want to go with it, assuming you get to where you want to go. What do you have behind it that's going to keep you excited and moving in the right direction, all of that? How do you approach that? So I always help entrepreneurs start with the end in mind. And our typical client, they already have a product, they're in, in market, they have revenue, but they don't know how to scale and delegate the business. And they don't have a clear direction of where they want to go. So without vision, the people perish. So we start with that literally three-year target. Do you want to exit the business? What's the revenue? What's the multiple? And then we reverse engineer how we're going to get there through building a financial model, creating the assumptions, uh, a business plan and provide the accountability throughout the process of actually hitting that three-year target. So it's, you know, starting with the end in mind. And then one of the biggest ways I see entrepreneurs fail is not making decisions fast enough. And notice that I didn't say make the right decision. It's just making decisions because when you make a decision, it creates action. That action gives you feedback and then that feedback will help you make better decisions throughout the journey of your business. You're never going to make the right decision all the time. And so the more decisions you can make early on will help your business scale and grow a lot faster. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> I do want to come back to self-care because you did talk a lot about the, you know, the, the all-in approach to entrepreneurship. But before I get there, let's stay on what you just mentioned a moment ago. Uh, I want to go a little deeper on goal setting. It's something that I present on regularly, I work with my mastermind group and others on helping to set actionable goals that are that are the right goals. And I'm curious to get your take on that. You know, some people get very, very ambitious. Oh, I want to make a million dollars, ten million dollars, whatever that number is, um, and 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 don't necessarily sort of compartmentalize that goal in a way that allows them to say, okay, these are the specific things that I'm going to do. And these are the outcomes that I want to achieve. And so I'm just curious to know, what is your process 
and helping your people. So you talked about here's your end, your end goal, your end result. This is where you want to be. Let's let's reverse engineer that. Now you're trying to help them set actionable goals to move them forward. What process do you take them through in order to get there? Well, I'm glad you asked that. So we set those big goals and then we have a very detailed map of how we're going to get there. But as I mentioned, I'm a college dropout. So, you know, a lot of uh, education from the streets, so to speak, in, in business. But it's about setting small goals every day. And I'm a strong believer in the compound effect. So it's doing the little things every day over a long period of time that make the biggest impact. And you have to set those short-term goals. And it's not about the quantity, it's the quality and the consistency of hitting them. That's going to build your confidence every day because as an entrepreneur, it is an emotional roller coaster. And I'm helping advise them how to take the emotion out of it with setting those short-term small goals and hitting them consistently over time. So what would be an example of a short-term small goal that a that a uh, um, a client of yours might take in order to achieve something more meaningful? Like how small are we talking? It depends on the size of the business and what they're trying to accomplish. But typically entrepreneurs are wearing a lot of hats and mm -hmm. need revenue to drive the business. And so they are, are for sure having to sell something to someone, whether it's investment or your product. Uh, but mm -hmm. I typically start on just sales consistency. So in the morning, creating that outbound activity, whether it's messaging people on LinkedIn, following people on social media, uh, commenting on different posts, uh, prospecting. So just getting that early on outbound activity, and then the energy comes back to you throughout the day that you put forward in the morning. <clears throat> so I wasn't going to ask about this, but since you mentioned it, I'm sure a lot of people are curious. I'm personally curious. I find that, you know, the idea of messaging people online, following is one thing, commenting is another, but the next step, which is typically, you know, extending yourself more directly into the person's space and trying to become better known. Obviously, you don't want to be a spammer. You don't want to be somebody who the second they accept your invitation hits you up with some kind of sales message, which unfortunately happens quite a bit. I'm not sure why people think that that's effective unless you're desperate for something like that. And they're like your Messiah just sort of dropping in your lap. 99 times out of 100, I pay it zero attention. If they get too much, I, I just undo, block, you know, remove connection, et cetera, because I'm not interested in that. First, first, I want to see some kind of relationship and really get a feeling that that you can that you can help me achieve my achieve my results. That's specifically true for coaches and service oriented businesses and things like that. But I'm curious to know how do you advise people to take the next step in a developing relationship, especially especially if it's a virtual relationship. So you don't have the totality of physical touch and proximity and all elements that normally allow you to get to, to know a person pretty quickly don't exist in social media. So how do you help people to make the right progression that they can ultimately convert those relationships into sales? Yeah, a lot there. Uh, I think it's really about adding value to other people and other communities. Because like you said, if I pop into a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group, and I'm pitching my business advisory services, obviously that's going to 
maybe get kicked out of the group or just turn people off immediately. So I try to produce content that helps and empowers other people. I have my clients do the same. I'm working with a HR entrepreneur right now. He's just getting started. So helping him produce valuable content that he's sharing in other people's communities. He's created a newsletter. So it has to have some sort of value to it in order to get people to engage with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you talked, I, I know I read in your bio about leading, I guess you'd say from values, meaning to say that you don't divorce your values from your entrepreneurial life, but you want to keep it as your proverbial North star as you're trying to make money, but still focusing on things like faith and family and self-care and whatnot. Earlier, you talked about being on 365, 24-7. How do you practically, you know, we could all preach, but how do you practically integrate these values into your life? And how do you make sure that you don't lose sight of them? It's uh, it's an evolution over time. You learn really, I mentioned seasons before, what season are you in in your business career? What season are you in with your family? Uh, what season are you in with yourself? And it's that awareness of understanding whenever you're building something, it's taking away from another area. And I didn't have the self-awareness in my first company and kind of reached that epiphany when I sold direct marketing associates, like, why am I doing this? I've just, I'm working 24 seven, um, putting my health at risk. I've made all this money and it's like, what was that all for? And over time, I've learned to recognize the season that I'm in, in business right now, I'm back in startup mode. So I've communicated to my wife and she knows like, Hey, we're in a planting season, right? So I'm going to be focused on the business. I'm grinding, I'm growing. Uh, and it's just being able to communicate and understand that that's where you really reduce the the collateral damage. But uh, to your question on routines, um, everyone has has their own routine. And there's a lot of talk about morning routines uh, of all these successful people doing cold plunges. Well, typically when they started their first business, they didn't have any of that. I didn't have an infrared sauna. I didn't have a cold plunge. Uh, barely had time to exercise. So uh, now that they've reached these multi-million dollar levels, sure, they're putting in a sauna and a cold pool in their house. But the point is, it's just finding something consistently uh, that you stick with as a routine, as a discipline. And the more consistent you are with it, the more confidence it's going to build for you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So <clears throat> I've got a couple more questions before we transition. Um, I'm curious to know if you could advise every entrepreneur on three action steps to take each day, what would they be? The three actions uh, you want to take care of. I, I start at my mornings. I call it building the foundation. I spend 15 minutes on myself. So some mm -hmm. sort of self-development. I spend 15 minutes on my faith, uh, whatever you're faith and belief system is. And people say, I don't have faith, but both faith, both fear and faith are a belief system. <laughs> They're the only two mm -hmm. options. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're either going to choose to believe in something or, you know, to believe in, in fear. And so I spend that 15 minutes with my faith, 15 minutes uh, praying for my family, and then some sort of, you know, physical activity. I love going to uh, the gym in the morning. So it's just 
making some sort of morning routine uh, would be the first step. The second, again, would be that outbound activity, whether it's creating content, newsletters. Uh, and the third would be you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable because 70% of your business, you're going to spend in that growth zone. And the only way you grow is by struggling. So just get comfortable being uncomfortable. Nice. And I, I kind of connecting in my mind, the last two that you said, <clears throat> because as somebody who identifies more as an introvert than the opposite uh, and coming from educational leadership, where it was really not about me, the idea of self-promotion felt very uncomfortable. And certainly being on social media was something new for me. Having a website was a new was a new concept. And just going out there, hanging my shingle, saying, here I am, I'm ready to provide, um, was it took time, obviously, to develop that awareness, my inner sense, my ability to communicate what I do and how I help people. A lot of that was uncomfortable and it remains uncomfortable because I'd much rather be talking about you know, my clients and their successes and all of that than talking about how great I am or what I can do to help other people. I also know that if I don't share wins, if I don't share testimonials, if I don't talk about what I know, people can't start to know, like, and trust me as a provider. And therefore they won't take advantage of what it is that I can offer. So it is uncomfortable. And I'm sure, you know, it's different if you're selling a product versus selling yourself, but nonetheless, I, I it totally resonates. And I know we talked earlier, Adam, about entrepreneurs and some of the things that they're not necessarily aware of going in, but on a personal level, what would you say was your biggest mistake, leadership mistake, or just professional mistake? And, and how have you grown from it? Because I tell people all the time, leaders are not made, leaders are, de are developed. And so we have to, you know, we, ha we have to demystify that for people. If people think that, well, I'm not a leader, um, you know, I'm not, I, I have all these warts, I'm never going to be successful. When they hear that leaders have their own insecurities, warts, challenges, mistakes, it becomes much more approachable for them. So, so share that with us, please. I think early on in my leadership journey, I was very inspirational and passionate, but I also drove a really hard bargain. And it was, I don't want to call it a dictatorship mentality, but I was very uh, disciplined. I had my way of doing things. And I think how I held people accountable, I could have done a much better job. Part of that's just being a 22 year old kid, being successful. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So I, I, it was a mindset shift that really helped me build my next three companies was understanding the strengths of the people around me and how to get the most out of them actually made me better. So I could only get to a certain point leading that dictatorship type way. And I don't want to, it, it wasn't at that level, but that's, that's the right definition I can and give it now. And I think uh, now I'm combining that inspiration along with uh, selfless leadership. So really focusing on the team, their strengths and, and highlighting other people. Nice. And this might be a perfect segue to our next segment, our rapid fire. What would be one piece of advice you would give to someone who is just starting out as a leader? Leadership is not about you. And it starts with how you lead yourself is going to be how you lead other people. 
Nice. Your favorite hot drink. I know you're in Minneapolis, so I'm sure you're going to need some of that soon. I'm going to go with coffee. Okay. That works. But yeah. <laughs> I, I, my coffees are pretty simple. So if you have any any particular variation, you're welcome to share. Um, kind of books that you read. I'm trying to reduce the number of self-development books that I'm reading. Okay. So uh, I, I think there is a diminishing return with those. So I'm not going to inspire anyone to read self-development mm -hmm. right now. <laughs> okay. Well, if there's something else in mind, you can certainly share that. A lot of people love fiction or, or, or things that kind of like just light them up in terms of history. If you could plaster a message on a massive billboard, what would it say? No struggle, no growth. Mm. And finally, a productivity tip that helps you to get more done, Adam. Understanding the compound effect. Small things every day over a long period of time make a massive impact. Love it. Okay, so how can people, uh, I know you've been through different iterations, but now you're in the service business, it seems, and providing consultancy and whatnot. So I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in hearing from you and learning from you. How can people find you? Uh, you can go to our website, Adam House Senior, so adamhousesr.com. You can find us on social media, on Instagram, hashtag HowStrongLife. And I know in the show notes, uh, you'll put our information in there. But really, anyone that's looking to strengthen the foundation of their business for some sort of uh, liquidity event in the next one to three years, we will help you do that and accelerate your time that you have to spend in that struggle zone and give you the blueprints to succeed. I love the term liquidity event. Sounds kind of neat. All right. So let's end, Adam, with one final life lesson. You've shared, obviously, so much until now, um, but I'm sure you've got one more thing you can, you can enlighten us before we wrap up. One thing that I would like to leave your listeners with, and again, thank you very much for being on the show, is the understanding that both fear and opportunity always coexist. So the more fear that you feel, the closer you are to opportunity. And if you want opportunity, you have to be ready to face the fears. Yeah. If you're not afraid, you're not doing anything significant. Okay. I love it. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, continue doing what you're doing. The world needs um, you, your services. Uh, I've learned a lot and I thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 